you, uh, will you bow your heads, uh, close your eyes, if you're comfortable and willing, just open your hands where you are to the Lord. God, less of us, more of you. Release us of ourselves, fill us with your spirit. Drive out any form of sin and rebellion, replace it with the power of Jesus. And church, where you are right now, just quietly, where you are, will you give God thanks for what he has accomplished through Jesus? Will you take just a moment in prayer to pray for the person sitting on the pew with you? It may be someone you know, it may be someone you don't know. God knows them. Will you just cry out to God for them to come closer to Jesus today? And God, for me, I I stand up in front of these people today confessing I know in part, I believe in part, uh, but I lean into the one who knows all things, who is over all. And we trust you today to touch down in our lives, to speak a word. God, we know when a word leaves your mouth, it doesn't return to you void. It accomplishes the purpose for why it was sent. So speak words of transformation and wholeness over us today so that we may uh, be formed and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Um, Faith is personal. Meaning this, I cannot make decisions for your faith and you cannot make decisions for mine. I cannot make decisions for people to be saved. You can't make decisions for people you know to be saved. Faith is personal in that God accomplished something for you, a person. Uh, Jesus died for you so that you could be drawn into covenant with him. Faith is very personal. But the way I've been taught to think about this over the last decade of my life is that though faith is personal, it's not private. Meaning that nowhere in Scripture does it endorse a kind of spirituality or faith where you worry about your relationship with God and I worry about mine and you don't get into my space and I don't get into yours. When it comes to transformation, to salvation, and to growth, it's the people of God who've been drawn into this community through through the gospel, through what Jesus has accomplished, through death, burial, and resurrection, and together we're pursuing growth. So it's personal, but it's not private. So when Jesus saves people, it's not like he saves us from drowning and leaves us on the shore. It's not like Jesus finds you in some ER, saves your life, brings you to life, and then leaves you in the lobby. It's that Jesus saves people and then wants to usher them into this fantastic life of following him, this adventure, a life with great joy. So it's together as people where Jesus doesn't just leave us stranded after saving us, but he's leading us together. It's this movement. We're going somewhere, and growth is so important on this journey. So we've been on this in this series now. I got two weeks left. This series called Grow, talking about what it means to grow into Christ, because for followers of Jesus, this cannot be an option that Jesus wants to grow what he saves. 
So this week and next week, I want to try to give some really practical things. So I hope that you'll take some notes today. I hope you, I don't know if you're a person who still carries around a journal or notepad and you have a pen or pencil, I, I invite you to write some things down. Some of you will be in life groups, small groups later on today where you'll be talking about uh, and digesting and dialoguing about some of this stuff later on today. Maybe you have a phone where you can take some notes. Write some things down so you can study them later. And not only that, write some things down and find one thing that I say this morning that you can send on to someone else today to encourage them. It doesn't even have to be, uh, this is from my preacher. It can be from you. This is what God does, all right? So may God use us to bless the world today through some words that God's going to speak. I want to talk just a moment about discipleship relationships, uh, and let me lay them out like this, all right? For one, I just want you to write down the name Paul. Uh, Apostle Paul, he was a, I want to call him a discipler. This is not a word that shows up in your dictionary, all right? Uh, but a discipler is one who pours into other people. So Paul had an understanding of Jewish culture and how it worked, and he had an understanding about discipleship. And, and a lot of what Paul did is he learned, as he became a faithful leader of God, he poured into other people. He noticed in him that he had something because of God that he could give others, and he took advantage of it. Uh, so um, Galatians 4.19 comes to mind when it, you think about who Paul was and how he lived. That Galatians 4.19, Paul is speaking to a church and he says, I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He cares so much about growth and formation in people. He compares it to being in labor. All right, some of the women will take this up with Paul one day in heaven, right? Like you have no clue what it's like. Um, but not only that, in Romans 1.15, <coughs> Excuse me. when Paul is writing to the churches in Rome, what he tells them is, he says he is eager to get to Rome so he can preach the gospel to them. And have you ever thought about that? Like, what does Paul mean by getting to Rome to preach the gospel? What's the gospel? Because Paul is writing to churches made up of believers People who've been baptized in the Christ, they've confessed Jesus as Lord, they've given their lives to Jesus, and now Paul is writing to these people saying he's eager to get to them to preach the gospel to them. The gospel is good news. Uh, how many times have you heard phrases recently like fake news, alternative facts? And we come to church because we're like, dude, we need to know like, what is true. Let's have some good news that we can rally around, right? And Paul's telling believers he can't wait to get to them to talk about good news. Now, the last 200 years, in a lot of Christian circles, the word gospel and what we think about obeying the gospel has been reduced to a conversion moment. So sometimes when we think about obey the gospel, we think about being converted, the moment when we move from lost to found, from unsaved to saved. But for Paul, and I think for other New Testament believers, obeying the gospel wasn't just about a conversion moment. It was about this life you were invited into. So Paul's eager to get with all the churches in Rome to talk to him about the gospel. Not just about conversion, though that's so important, but to talk to him about what it means to grow into Christ. That the gospel isn't just about an event in your life when you give your life over to Jesus. It is you being grown, that you are growing and being formed and transformed into the image of Jesus. So Paul is one who had this burning passion to see people be transformed and developed and to be formed into the image of Jesus. Now, you have Paul. You also have Timothy. So write Timothy down. Because Timothy is a recipient of what Paul was giving him. Now, Timothy would grow into a leader. 
If you go and do a word study of Timothy, what you will find is that there are times when Paul would plant churches and then Paul would send Timothy to that church to disciple and equip the church. So Paul would plant, Paul had this great vision, and then Paul would send Timothy around. But in Acts chapter 16, what happened is Timothy had a mom and a grandma who were teaching him the ways of Jesus, teaching him about faith. And, and Paul noticed something in Timothy that Paul decided, hey, you are worth being poured into. So Paul is pouring into people like Timothy. Timothy is someone who is receiving what it means to be poured into. Can you think of people in your life who have poured into you? poured into you faith, poured into you principles of, of faith and Christianity. Is there anyone in your life that you are pouring into? Because I think as we think about discipleship and what it means to grow, we need people who are pouring into us, but we also need to be identifying people in our lives that we are pouring into. Uh, and not only that, thirdly, I want you to write down uh, Barnabas. His name is Son of Encouragement. I, I love that. Like I I want to go back and name, rename one of my two kids. Like, I love the name Truett and Noah. But meet Barnabas. He's a son of encouragement. What he does, he was this great encouragement to the church. And you need people in your life who encourage you. And you need to be someone who is encouraging other people in their faith. It may come with simple text messages, emails, phone calls, taking people to lunch. So you have people who are pouring into you. You are pouring into others. And they're people you are encouraging. This is how the church grows. It's how faith grows. And I want to lay another name in front of you today, a name maybe you don't even know in the New Testament, but his name's Epaphras. His name only shows up three times in the Bible, twice in Colossians, once in Philemon. He seems to be one of those guys that we know very few things about, but if you look in those three verses that talk about him, what you would see about Epaphras is he's described like this. He's a fellow servant, a faithful minister, Colossians 4.12, he is one of you. He's a servant of Jesus. And in Philemon, he's a fellow prisoner. So he, I guess, went to prison with Paul. If you only had three verses in the Bible to describe you, that's some pretty good descriptors, right? And you may not know much about Epaphras. You may not even know it's a, bi- a name that's in the Bible. We don't know much about him outside of that. But there are times in life, if you watch movies, extras make movies better. And I bet you don't watch movies or TV shows and sit around thinking about extras, those people in the background. But if we went one year where Hollywood or anyone creating movies and TV shows removed extras from anything, you would notice. They make a big part. And in the Bible, you have these main characters, and we know them, and we celebrate David and Abraham and, of course, Jesus. But you have these other people you know very few things about, but we can learn from them. So Paul uses this description. He has one verse about Epaphras in Colossians 4, verse 12. And I want to talk about this just for a moment. Because when it comes to being a leader, there are very few verses that have impacted me more over the last few years than Colossians 4, verse 12. So Paul describes Epaphras like this. He is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you. He is always wrestling in prayer on your behalf so that you may stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. And that verse alone makes me want to know this guy better. He spends time wrestling in prayer for the church. 
I've adopted that of my prayer life so much. I don't just want to pray for you. Like, I want to wrestle in prayer. There are times where I've left this room praying over this church, and I go home, and I'm like, I'm kind of physically sore by the way I pray today. The way I was walking around, or God had me kneeling in certain positions, and I'm almost physically sore. And I'm like, maybe intercessory prayer should be like this sometimes, that we're pouring everything we have into wrestling in prayer for the spiritual formation of people. Wednesday night, I was in this building at 9.30 with some of our elders of this church praying for spiritual health and maturity and growth and for the people of this church. And Epaphras is one who was wrestling in prayer for people. And not only does it just say he's wrestling in prayer, because he's not just praying for the emotional mindset of people, though it's something great to pray for. He's not just praying for peace over the church, so that's great to pray for. There were a couple of things specifically that Epaphras was wrestling in prayer for, and it was that the people would, that they would stand mature before God. And the second thing is that they would be fully assured in everything God wills for us. All right, think about that phrase, stand mature. Standing mature doesn't mean you lose mobility in your life. Standing mature doesn't mean you become stationary. Sometimes I fear that Christians become like statues where we stand still, put a plaque on me so people know I'm a Christian, and it could read on there even what my favorite verse is, put Philippians 4.13 or John 3.16, and we become these statues that don't move with God where God is going. Standing with God means you have deep convictions, you have a solid foundation, but you're part of a movement. You're not just standing still. It's that we're standing with mature before the Lord. We're becoming more aware of what God is doing in our lives and what God wants for us. And here, it's not just standing mature. It is being fully assured. Um, I've talked with some of you over the years who have come to me and you wrestle sometimes with whether you're saved or not or whether you're going to be in heaven or not. Sometimes this is because some of us, maybe some of you were raised in churches where um, you heard about that stuff a lot. Where I, I mean, every church needs to have a voc- they, they need hell in their vocabulary because it's a word that's in the Bible. But some of you are raised in churches where it's not just that hell was talked about, it's that it was talked about a lot. Uh, that uh, some of you are raised in churches where there was just this mindset of, well, if you don't take communion on a Sunday and you die on Sunday night, there's a 50-50 chance for you that you'll be in heaven. Or if you skip Sunday night church to watch the Super Bowl, it's way higher than 50-50 for you if you die that night. Um, some of you wrestle with whether you're saved or not because you've been through seasons of intentional sin and you need a greater awareness of what the grace of God is for you and how powerful the blood of Jesus is. And as we read at the table and we feasted on words from Hebrews and you can go home and read about the word confidence and how it shows up in the Bible and in the New Testament that God wants His people to be fully assured that they can come before His throne in confidence that what Jesus has accomplished for them It's something that will guarantee their status before the Lord. That we can be assured of our confidence in our relationship with God. And God does not want His people going to bed at night, not having a clear conscience about who they are with Him. Because to to not have a clear conscience of where we are with God has a great impact on how the mission of God spreads throughout the world. So as a papyrus prays for the church, he's wrestling in prayer and what he's praying for And what he's passionate about is that people are standing mature before God. And that they are fully assured of everything that God wills. And this is for the whole church. 
Not just the ministers, not just the elders, not just ministry team leaders. This is for everyone. Um, a guy named Maxie Dunham had a couple of quotes, and they go like this. On the ship of the church, there are no passengers. All are members of the crew. The church is not a trumpet corpse, but an orchestra, each member a different instrument playing this unique sound that we're all coming together to make this joyful noise to the Lord. Um, Have you ever been lost before? And I'm not talking about like your status with God. Have you ever just been driving or you've been lost? A couple of days ago, Casey and I were walking downtown, especially on beautiful days. We like going on walks together. I'm off on Fridays. She doesn't work Fridays. And we walked Main Street in downtown Memphis. It's a beautiful day. Sometimes we just, we love watching Main Street. We, we hold hands. We flirt. There are people who are like, so you're newlyweds? And we're like, no, it's almost 15 years. And they're kind of surprised. Like, married people aren't supposed to have fun for the rest of their lives, right? And we're walking down Main Street because I, I needed to run by the Shelby County Clerk's Office, which is on Washington Street. If you're not familiar with Memphis, that's all right, Okay. So we're walking down Main Street, and I just thought that Washington went into Maine. So we just kept walking, thinking with, at some point we would bump into Washington. I didn't know Washington stopped a block away from Maine. And it wasn't until we got all the way to the Cannon Center, the Civic Center, that's like, I, I think we passed Washington. So I pulled out some of my Bear grills, and I'm looking at the sun to see where direction is, right? How's the wind blowing? Uh, man, I'm just joking. I'm a city boy. I don't know any of that stuff. But we were able to, where are we? Where's Poplar? From Poplar, we know how to get to Washington. Have you ever been in a mall and you forgot where you were? You forgot where you parked. And there are these signs and places like the mall that you can go to. There are maps. And on the map, there is the you are here place. And you identify where you are here is. And from there, you can look to see where you need to go and how you get there. And if you've noticed in places like the mall, when you come to signs like this and you're looking at them, there are not, you don't have benches to sit on close to these places. You don't have bar stools because you're coming up to that sign to see where you are, where you need to go, how you need to get there. And it's not that you sit down and just stare at the sign. When it comes to faith, when it comes to the church, it's not that you come into a worship service like this to know what your status is. It's that we come to, okay, you are here, but here's where God's leading us. And now how are we going to follow him there? And how are we going to pray that we know that God is leading us somewhere? It's not that God wants us to be stationary with no mobility, but here's where we are. And here's what God's doing, and here's what his mission is. And Okay, and how are we going to follow God there? Uh, so let me throw out a couple of things to you, okay? I was, with, uh, I was at this event the last uh, a couple of days this past week, about 120 pastors around Memphis, uh, different branches of Christianity. Uh, it was a racial reconciliation retreat, a fascinating two days. Chris Conley, the pastor of High Point, was one of the guys who put this event on. And he made a couple of statements to me that really resonated. And he said, Josh, when it comes to reconciliation and transformation... They're both things that happen slow. And just because they happen slow doesn't mean we take them lightly. Because what we need to realize is that sin is aggressive. And though sin may be moving slow, it is aggressive. And sin does not just want to disrupt your life. Have you been disrupted by sin this past week at all? The goal of sin is not just to disrupt your life. It is to destroy. It's destruction. 
So sin is aggressive, which means we've got to be really serious about transformation and formation. Now, we're moving at the pace of God, not our own pace. Transformation doesn't happen overnight, but it doesn't mean we don't take it lightly or that we do take it lightly. It's we take it seriously. So uh, when it comes to life, you, you have structure in your faith and you need some spontaneity in your faith. Now, some of you are wired, your personalities are wired to where you have a lot of structure in your life. You have calendars, to-do lists that you follow, point A to point B. With anything disrupts that, you go crazy, right? Some of you are so spontaneous. It's you wake up every day and you're going here or there. If you show up late to places, that's okay. It's because you're, you're soaking up life. You're so spontaneous, maybe you don't have any structure. And I don't know for you if you lean more into structure or more into spontaneous, but when it comes to you being spiritually grounded and formed, you need a little bit of both in your life, no matter what kind of personality you have. Now, the thing with structure is we can become so much about structure in our faith that our heart's not being formed into Jesus. And sometimes we can become so spontaneous that wherever the Spirit goes, we want to go, but there's no structure. You're not grounding your life in anything. When it comes to faith, you need a blend of both. So here are two things. Write these down. Two things I want you to think about, and I'll end uh, the sermon on these. Uh, the first is this. I'm asking you to look for God in the daily rhythm of life. God's going to often show up in places. He's going to reveal himself in places that you would never expect and never imagine. And if you're not praying, especially in the morning, to God, what are you doing today? Where are you? Show me, reveal yourself to me. We may miss out on what God is trying to teach us, what God's doing around us. And I urge us to be careful as people that when we are going about life, remember as Christians, we're always on a mission for God, no matter where you are. So be careful when you're in a grocery store that you're not glued to your phone and you're missing out on humanity. That when you're standing in lines places that we don't go straight to Twitter and Facebook and text messages, but that we are constantly aware of ways God may be moving in us and around us and through us to be an encouragement and a light to other people. That we do serve a God who is very spontaneous, whose spirit is moving like the wind and you can't always know it, all right? But you want to be in tune with the Spirit to know where the Spirit is leading, where the Spirit is calling. Uh, One author said this, There is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living. I love it. Number two is this. I'm not just asking you to look for God in the daily rhythm of life, but to practice God in the daily rhythm of life. So as you look for God, No matter what our schedule says, we're aware that God is moving and working outside of our schedule. But I'm asking you to practice God in your daily rhythm of life, meaning that there are things we need to honor, that you are developing a prayer life, that you're in the Word of God, that you develop spiritual disciplines like fasting or journaling or exercise. Some of you have shared with me over the last few weeks ways you're connecting with God in this growth series. Some of you are taking prayer walks. Some of you are now using cleaning your house as ways to either listen to music or connect with the Lord. That as you clean, you're asking God to clean you. And, and I'm hearing these things coming from you about this. I'm asking you to look for God in the everyday. Because God's doing things that if you're not praying that, you're not aware, you're going to miss out. And I'm asking you also to practice God. Years ago, hundreds of years ago, there are many Christians who started forming what they called rule, a rule of life or a covenant of life. 
And I love working with people to develop these for your life. Usually for me, my covenant of life is about six months long, and then I spend some time with the Lord developing what a new one may be. It may be something as simple as this. How is your heart connecting to the Lord? What can you commit to? Usually when I work with people about developing a covenant of life, I see what they've written, and then we need to cut that in half because what you have formed may not be uh, realistic for your life. Some people have come back and they're like, I'm going to commit two hours a day to prayer. And I'm like, I I don't want you to get into day three and to think that you were a failure, all right? Can you commit five five minutes and two different segments a day to connecting with the Lord? For some of you, when it comes to the Bible, you make commitments every year to read Genesis through Revelation. For some of you, you've tried. Yeah, you got to Leviticus, which is the graveyard for Bible reading plans, right? And sometimes I encourage people, how about, how about this year, you, how about you read the four Gospels? And just read them, and if you finish it, reread it. Why don't you read a book five different times and ask different questions every time you read it? There are a lot of different ways to engage Scripture. And it's not just for your own heart, but as we think through a covenant of life, what's the value of community and relationships? And I don't have time to go deep into this, but we live in a world with so much conflict. And what the gospel of Jesus teaches us is that where there is conflict as Christians, we don't always run away from it. There are times we step into it. Reconciliation happens best when a person is able to step into what needs to be reconciled. So it may be a good commitment this year for those of you who are diehard Republicans to find a diehard liberal, a Democrat, that you can go to lunch with, buy them lunch, get to know them. If you're a diehard liberal, Democrat, it may be good for you to find a conservative that you can go sit down with and process life and ask questions. If you're a white person who has never had a meal with a minority person, this may be a year that you need to do something like that. As you start living into our future community in heaven, which is a place made up of all people, And you need to have some kind of discipline of compassion and justice and service in your life. Since you form a covenant of life and think through, what's the structure? What is forming me? We're being formed in the heart and in the hands and in the mind and in relationships so that we're growing into the fullness of God. Let me give you a couple of questions that you can take with today. A couple, and feel free to take a picture, write these down, whatever works best for you. Where do you feel God calling you to stretch and grow? And how's that going to lead you in a prayer time this week? And what kind of balance do you need in your life, specifically when it comes to structure and the spontaneous move of the Holy Spirit? Let me leave you with this. I was, before I moved here to Memphis, I was preaching at a church in Houston, and we were without a youth minister, so I was in charge of teaching the teens on Wednesday nights. And nothing was connecting, man. And, and <clears throat> one night, one Wednesday night, um, I started talking and just asking, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And there was this one kid, and he said I, he just wanted to be a gangster rapper. That's what he wanted to do. 17, had gold teeth. I saw this guy at an event a few years ago. He's given his life over to Jesus, and he's serving the Lord. Just a wonderful young man. And I said, man, why don't we start like this? Like, do you love anybody in your life so much you would die for them? He said, yeah, I would die for my mom. So I took that question, and we just went around the room. Who in your life do you love so much you would die for them? And then I just changed the question at the end of class, and it changed how Wednesday nights went for a few weeks. I said, okay, loving someone so much you'll die for them is a really good thing. 
But loving someone so much you'll live for them is even better. Because Jesus didn't just love us so much he would die for us. It's he lived for us. He still lives for us. And for you, it's not that you love someone else so much you'll die for him, but will you live for him? And when it comes to Jesus, do we love him so much we'll die for him, but even better, do we love him so much that we'll live for him and with him, wherever it is he may be called? So for leaders, prayer leaders, we go to your places this morning to receive people for prayer and how we pray and how we sing these songs to God in the next few minutes. This may matter for eternity. The kingdom of God may be at stake. So I'm asking as a church that we sing these songs as a declaration. We sing them with all of our hearts. And if there's someone you need to go to this morning for a prayer or a word of blessing, you see them stationed throughout this room. We have Carrie French over here to my right. Kelly and Tammy Montgomery in the back, Jim Berryman over here to my left, Brian Birdwell. And if there's something you want to bring in front of this church or someone who wants to give their lives to the Lord this morning, one of our elders, Phil Hart's here to my right. Can we stand together? Let's sing this song about freedom.